From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. This one, episode 262, we are diving into the narrative that culture is presenting to us and why this narrative relates to our self-sabotage because they are interconnected. And the more independent we become and break away from the central narrative and that being that cog in that wheel that is culture, the more we separate ourselves, the more we can find our true potential. That's the truth of that. So we're going to dive into all those details today. But before I do, remember to head over to the YouTube channel because I post videos there weekly and they're great because they all pertain to anxiety and self-development. And I post a podcast there as well. So let me start off this episode by saying, if you do not know who you are, Culture will decide that for you. Now, Carl Jung says that ideas possess people rather than you having an idea. And we grow up, we see ourselves moving through childhood, absorbing the ideas and the narratives from our family, which they get from culture. And then we are left in those later years in university moving ourselves out into the real world, like adults like to say, we have to kill off so much a part of us and what we've learned from our parents and culture. But the problem today is that the universities now are not promoting and teaching students to be more individual-like and to challenge the norms of society and to learn how to read and write and be independent, but rather to be that cog. Not to be a deadly person in the sense that, well, you can take care of yourself and if you learn to read and write properly, then you can, well, and uh, speak properly, especially that, well, if you can't do that, then how are you going to function in this very, very challenging world that we live in? So I believe students are weaker now more than ever coming out of these institutions. And I think inst- institutions is a great word to describe them. But the central narrative of culture, it takes a hold of you. Now, companies, especially big food companies, big food corporations, the pharmaceuticals, uh, governments, they understand that if you wrap an idea around the general concerns of the public, general concerns like environment or gender to be more inclusive and diverse, which is a great thing to actually pursue and promote but the problem there is that they wrap they wrap biases and one-sided stories within that pretty bow that is that idea of of diversity and then uh, besides that 
besides the one-sidedness within that pretty bow that they present, it reaches the heart of the majority because the majority of, of the people now are looking for meaning and they're attaching themselves to these concerns because they want they want some sort of meaning in their life. I mean, I'm, I remember a time when I was really suffering from anxiety. I picked up this book called Man's Search for Meaning. And the reason why I picked it up is because it had the word meaning on it. And I was just looking for that. I was a lost person, especially coming out of college. I was wandering around. I was floundering around. I thought the meaning would come from getting what I want, like desires and impulses, meeting those through sex, pornography, attention from others. I was in a toxic relationship for a long time because I liked the attention, but I liked the intimacy and I liked the drama associated in that relationship. But then, you know, the alcohol and the weed and the late nights and the, you know, the just being flamboyant really it provided it what seemed like meaning because I saw the people on TV, the men, pursuing this type of meaning. But And that's what Andrew Tate is promoting as well. Get what you want, get fame, get successful, get power, and just take what you want. But it sounds good when you're floundering. But when you actually pursue that path, what you get are hollow pursuits because they are not satisfying in the long run. You actually still remain a cog in this idea, the idea of these pursuits being something worthwhile rather than you being, rather than you really understanding yourself, you're, you're feeding impulses and that's not you, man. I mean, it feels like you because it's coming from within. But what Freud would say is those are instinctual urges that are not you but they're sub deities and the deities be careful of those deities because they can consume you and lead you down bad paths i mean it was carl jung that said pay attention to your life and how it's unfolding because you could be acting out a tragedy and that's the thing you are walking a very fine line in your existence and every action has a consequence you are making how many hundreds of choices every single day i mean every action you take is an internal vote of the person you want to become that's a great quote by james clear great book atomic habits and we are feeding our potential by those everyday choices now, the media, the central narrative today, it can be an idea like meat or butter is bad because of such and such reasons, right? And this is a really common narrative because, well, first of all, once you look behind the veil of this narrative, it's very hollow in its foundation. There's no support because you look behind the veil and the studies that are being presented to us are being funded by big food corporations like Kellogg's because what, what happens with these companies is that Kellogg's, they hire their own researchers. They 
cherry pick the data, but also the researchers cherry pick the data for what's in favor of the people that are paying them to do the research. So what you're getting is a one-sided argument. And now a great book is by Nina Teicholtz called The Big Fat Surprise. She was a vegetarian, a vegan before I know those are two different diets, but she was either a vegetarian or a vegan. She wasn't eating meat at the time. And what's so funny, and, and maybe not so, is that once once she looked into the... And once she picked apart the past and the biases of this central narrative of meat and eggs being bad for you, what she found was pretty startling evidence that the data that originally brought about this narrative was one-sided. It was of something that is biased. And that blew my mind once I was reading the studies by Kellogg's and by people who didn't believe in meat because of religious reasons. They they cherry-picked data because of their beliefs, not because they were open to all sorts of data. They had a central narrative in mind, which was that we have to pick data to to support what I believe. And so over time, that was the central narrative because of one-sided beliefs, one-sided viewpoints. But once you look behind the veil and look at it for yourself, so you, there are studies out there of people who are on carnivore diets, who are on ketogenic low-carb diets, and the results are in. I mean, these... These studies are more profound than ever because they're only tracking only a very minimal amount of food that they're consuming. I mean, there's not many, there's not much variety. It's meat and eggs and fish and not much. But what happens with these studies uh, that Kellogg's is bringing out or that you see on the news about meat being bad are from epidemiological studies, which are research based, or sorry, they're not, it is research-based, but it's survey-based. So what that means is they ask people what they're eating on a daily basis, and they see the commonality, and they link that to their overall health. So if they're having a Coca-Cola and a French fries and a steak, it's the steak that they're going to pick out if meat is a common theme, which it is because everyone eats meat. Right? Every day at some point, right? If you're obviously not a vegan or a vegetarian. But that's my point is the data is so vague, but you pick out what you want to pick out. And then it becomes the central narrative. And then you listen to your office workers or you listen to what's on the news and you trust in that. But that's the problem is that when you trust in that and you don't look in it for yourself because... There are so many people on YouTube who are on the diet that you can go and look at and say, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What are your results from the doctor? And then more importantly, you can take that leap of faith and try it for yourself and then see how you feel, right? And then go to the doctor and get your labs checked. But a lot of people trust in the central narrative and that's where it's going to kill you because the central narrative it's not looking out for you as a as a whole. It's it's 
It's what's convenient to them. And there lies the problem. So when we adhere to the general consensus, we all suffer individually. And the, what about the data? What about the data behind the veil? Look beyond that narrative. And we see during the COVID pandemic, the central narrative of fear and pharmaceuticals rather than vitamin D or proper eating or exercise. Why wasn't that the central narrative? I mean, the studies were important, but we also didn't see much of our health and that concern over what we can do to mitigate our chances and to even when getting COVID, what we can do to help us wean ourselves through that challenging time. But why is the gender, the central gender, the central narrative in young school programs for our young kids, for our younger generation? I mean, that doesn't make any sense when you think about it because shouldn't you be teaching them how to properly conduct themselves in a challenging world by introducing meditation or anxiety coping habits or um, how to learn and read and write properly rather than, rather than picking and choosing what the kids are subjected to, like authors and books um, and... Uh, Artists that don't fit into your ideology, whatever that means. Because think about it that way. I mean, if you think that white men who are privileged shouldn't be a central theme to young kids, Mozart, Beethoven, uh, Picasso, maybe they got themselves into really difficult, challenging times. I mean, or they were criminal even. It doesn't mean you don't subject them to those types of people because everyone has a dark side. I mean, you can't have the art without without anything else attached to it. Maybe like the dark side was part of how the art propagated itself and brought itself into the world. But overall... That narrative is to keep us vulnerable, susceptible, and malleable, to keep us a cog in a, in a machine, to keep us consuming and wanting more. That's, that's the problem, man. I mean, we have to loosen our dependency around culture because we rely on them when we're feeling a lack for that new iPhone, for the new clothes, for the fast food, for the medication, for the fame and the fortune, we are bound to grab onto these things to feel fulfilled. It's like the isolated rat in the cage, right? When you try and addict a rat to cocaine in its natural environment, when it's in its community, it's very difficult for it to become addicted. But that isolated rat who is feeling a sense of lack is easily susceptible. 
So we have to look beyond the veil of culture's narrative. Because once you do, you're going to find weak supports, weak arguments, one-sided arguments that run around in circles. We have the freedom now to make ourselves less susceptible and stronger stronger than the central narrative by reading books, by listening to podcasts, by going on YouTube, role models especially. But it's your choice as an individual to pursue that. Scholznitzen in the Gulag Archipelago, he said that his prison sentencing was a blessing in the Soviet Union. And he was in prison for over seven years. And he was under extreme conditions. And he was able to maintain his true character of good during that time. And that's what he found interesting within himself, was he was able to find meaning within that hell. His perception of his situation turned to that of a test of his character. Now, Boris Cornfield in the prison said to him in the hospital ward, the last words he uttered, I have become convinced that there is no punishment that comes to us in this life on earth, which is undeserved. Superficially, it can have nothing to do with what we are actually guilty of. In actual fact, but if you go over your life with a fine-tooth comb and ponder it deeply, you will always be able to hunt down that transgression of yours for which you have now received this blow. Does that sound familiar to you? The story of Jonah in the whale being in the belly of the beast in hell at the bottom of the ocean, pondering his life and how he wound up to be in that situation? Every choice we have is embedded within a spider's web of outcomes. Down the road, when you're in that rough place, it becomes difficult to link that state to older past actions. But the links are there. They're all interconnected. The route to hell is one step at a time. And if you trace those footsteps backwards, it's no joke and you're going to wind up in a very difficult position facing your own insecurities and missteps. Solzhenitsyn also says, and this is really profound, he says, Looking back, I saw that for my whole conscious life, I had not understood either myself or my strivings. What had seemed for so long to be beneficial now turned out in actuality to be fatal. And I had been striving to go in the opposite direction to that which was truly necessary to me. But just as the waves of the sea knock the inexperienced swimmer off his feet and keep tossing him back onto the shore, so also was I painfully tossed back on dry land by the blows of misfortune. And it was only because of this that I was able to travel the path which I had always really wanted to travel. 
we become consumed. Now, that's end, end quote. We are always consumed. We're embedded within culture. But I love this part in the book where he said that as soon as he was separated from culture and he had time to think, first of all, that time to himself, nobody could take away from. That was sacred time. As soon as you step back from the central narrative and you start to hear the voices in your head, I mean, he said at one point that a lot of the voices in his head weren't even him. It was the central ideas. And that's what really resonates with me. Because as soon as I stepped out of the culture and I started to read books and spend time with myself without any noise of the news or the TV or the coworkers. I heard something else. I felt something else. And I started to question that voice entirely, which you should do. And the suffering Scholznitzen experienced, it turned into meaning, just like Viktor Frankl in the concentration camps. It turns into meaning. It's either meaning or hopelessness. It's how you perceive your situation. Now, having a guiding principle to follow, that will bring this meaning into your life. Having a goal to strive towards. Because certainly, culture will not bring this meaning. And that's where I'm going to leave you today on this podcast episode. Thank you, everyone for being here. Remember, go check out that YouTube channel and be a part of this recovery community. Rise above anxiety. I'll see you next time. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery.